I would like to read Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the high heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. This ascends the Lord's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. O Lord our God, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. You have given us this word as a heritage for us, for our children forever. We pray, O Lord, that we would understand it better today and also uh, Heed its word, because we heed you out of love and gratitude. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a passage that actually extends to verse 14. I didn't read that uh, simply for time. But this also, uh, if you include verse 14, it talks about the Holy Spirit And as a long passage, it actually has boundaries marked by the Holy Spirit. So it may not be entirely clear, but it says in verse 3, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the word spiritual here refers to the Holy Spirit. It's a blessing from the Holy Spirit. Paul often uses the term spiritual with that meaning. So in verse 3, spiritual blessing means a blessing of the Holy Spirit. And then he shows that in verse 14, that the Holy Spirit has sealed us for the promise, and he himself is the guarantee, he's the down payment of our inheritance in the high heavenlies. So you, you can see at the beginning, the Holy Spirit is the blessing that the Father has given to us, blessings of the Spirit, uh, he himself gives us the blessing, and then he himself is the blessing as a guarantee of our heavenly inheritance. This is a, uh, a theme that comes back in Ephesians and elsewhere in the Bible very fully, uh, particularly 1 Corinthians 15, for example, we learn that we have spiritual bodies, and this means bodies that the Holy Spirit has so worked to fit us for heaven fit us for a a new creation, life uh, in a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, And this is, is, it doesn't mean that we will be 
uh, bodiless, it's just the opposite. We'll have reworked bodies, new bodies of an entirely different sort where we are going to be incorruptible. But this is a kind of inheritance and uh, reality that animates Paul's praise here. And this is very much a, uh, a place where Paul has praised the Lord with great enthusiasm. Uh, interestingly, it's in the form of a common prayer. It goes back to the Old Testament, uh, but it is something that uh, Jewish people in Paul's day recited throughout the day. These were called blessings. Uh, they were also called, it's the same word, sometimes they're called benedictions or uh, other terms like that. But you can see it in verse 3 where it says, blessed be the God. So that's the form of this. So you would hear Jews throughout the day reciting, blessed be the God. Uh, usually it would be, blessed be the God of Israel, which is what you have in the Old Testament. You actually uh, have this at the beginning of the New Testament, and it's the last time you have the, uh, God identifying himself as the God of Israel. And Ephesians, you know, is the, this great book where Paul shows that the heritage of Israel has been expanded to include peoples from every nation under the sun. The four corners of the earth are now included in God's uh, blessing, not just the nation of Israel, Jewish uh, descendants of Abraham, but also we're included with them uh, in God's favor through Christ Jesus in this new era that has opened up with the coming of Christ. And so he now identifies God as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, in a sense, his new name. Now, you know, it just means that's how we know him, uh, because uh, now Christ has opened up the doors for Gentiles to be included in this inheritance. Uh, and this is quite interesting because 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 3, has the same form. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First uh, Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This actually occurs word for word three places in the New Testament. You can tell this is what, they, this is what Christians are now reciting. And I do recommend this for us in your private prayers. Memorize this and use this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the high heavenlies in Christ. This is a good way to start your prayers, to bless the Lord for his blessings and favor in Christ Jesus. Uh, and, and interesting, isn't it? You have this blessing in the, uh, of the Father through the Son, for spiritual blessing. So it's Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, in the opening of our prayers. So it's very appropriate for that reason. This is something that uh, really informs what's opening up here. It's the work of Christ uh, now starting to dominate as verse 4 leads into verse 3. <laughs> got it. Sorry, I got it backwards. Verse 3 leads to verse 4. Gonna to have to go back to school to learn how to count. Three, four, three, four. Okay, I got it now. So you have verse three leading to verse four. And that's the, um, then it unpacks here. In fact, you, you find this as a repeated refrain. It's, it's impossible really to convey this always in English, but 
you have this kind of at the end of these um, stanzas, as it were. Uh, these stanzas sort of unpack as in Christ, in Him, according to His will, His grace, in Him, in Christ. You just have this repetition of what God is doing in Christ, in Him, by His grace, for His praise, praise of His glory. It's always focused on Him in this opening prayer. Uh, and this is all stuff that would catch your ear in the original, because this is all meant, all designed and arranged for being heard. So you'd hear the repetitions, you'd hear them over and over. And then when somebody takes a, br- a break to take a breath, the next thing would open and then they would end it and then take a breath. So it kind of, it kind of holds in your mind because, uh, you hear Christ Jesus. And there's this pause. Christ Jesus, the Lord. Well, this is, this is how, uh, Paul opens this, uh, praise here. Now, when you start looking at this, and we're going to focus really on verses 4 through 6. We're not going to go through the whole thing. Uh, but verses 4 through 6 in particular have this uh, quite important uh, way of saying things that will help us organize what he's saying. And it's, uh, it begins with verse 5, he predestined us. So that's the main uh, statement, that's the main action that uh, Paul is focusing on. He predestined us. Uh, and then you have uh, really an organization that we use in theology for evaluating ethics and ethical actions. You know, and it's a biblical way of evaluating an action to, to see whether it meets the criterion of God for being good, whether it's a good work, a good action. And the thing that you look for is goal, motive, and standard. So goal, motive, and standard. That's, that's what you learn for evaluating ethics. What is the goal? What are you trying to achieve? So if you say, well, that, you know, that guy is, yeah, he gave a lot of money, but it was for his own glory. There's the goal. What's the goal this person's trying to achieve? Well, if it's his own glory, it's nice, but what Jesus says about that, if people, for example, pray to be uh, seen by others and uh, admired by other people, he says, well, they got what they wanted. <laughs> Not from God, but from people. You know, that's, that's all they get. They don't get any, any uh, uh, they're not glorifying God, they're glorifying themselves. Well, they get it from people, and that's what they get, but they're not going to be glorified by God uh, for that action. Uh, so the goal, what, did they, what are you trying to accomplish? And then the motive, why? Why are they doing this? And Christian, our motive is very simple, love. That's the motive we have to come back to over and over again. Why are we doing that out of love? We love the Lord. We love our neighbor. This is, this is why we do things uh, as Christians. And it's the main uh, motive that should dominate our actions. And then third, what's the standard? It's got to meet God's standard. You can't just make up things and call it good. Uh, 
you know, you hear that a lot today. People say, well, this is the right thing to do. But the question is, by whose standard? Uh, sometimes it's just a claim of being the right thing to do. It's a standard that people are making up on the fly, or uh, society decides. This is an old uh, question. This actually goes back uh, many hundreds of years before Christ in the Greek world. They debated whether uh, society makes up ethical goal, uh, standards or not, or whether they are rooted in nature. Uh, so there was this big debate, and it's played out in their philosophy, and it played out in their literature over and over. Do we do we act and and uh, do things and set up standards and laws because of we just agree to them arbitrarily, or do, are they rooted in nature? Uh, and this is a, a long old debate. So the standard here always is God's will. This is this is the the determination of good and evil is God's will. How do you know his will? By his law, by his revelation. You know by what he tells us, what he commands us, and what he enjoins upon us. Uh, and, and in every case, every single case, these are things that God does all the time, only because he is good. We sang that in this uh, this opening hymn, number one. Come before him, for the Lord is good. His goodness is from everlasting to everlasting. This is the this is the standard that he puts before us. We are to be holy as he is holy. We are to be perfect as he is perfect. Uh, he himself conforms to this. He, we we are. He himself is our standard. Now in this action. Notice this predestination, you actually have it in our passage. Let me read this for you in verse 4 through through 6. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Goal, motive, and standard. Which one is that? It's the goal, right? That we should be holy and blameless before him. That's the goal of his choice and his predestination. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Which one's that? It's the second goal. For adoption. That's the goal. He predestined it for what, for what end? What is he accomplishing? That he would adopt us to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Uh, Keep going. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. There's the third goal. To the praise of his glorious grace. So God is glorifying himself by blessing us. Blessed be God who has blessed us. Here's how he's blessed us. And there are these three things. He has destined us to be holy and blameless before him. And he has destined us and granted us, even now, adoption to himself as sons for the praise of his glory. Now, notice the standard, though. The standard is here. When it says, according to, that's the standard. So, what is it according to? It's according to the purpose of his will. It is his will 
He is the standard of action on these things. He predestined us according to his will. That's the standard he uses to act all the time. His own counsel of his will. And we find that later on, and I you know, read further in verse 11, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And the word for counsel and will are basically the same word, same meaning, different words, but same meaning. The counsel, he takes counsel and decides according to his will. So his standard is what he has been pleased to do. It's his good pleasure to do this. And then the motive, right there. Look at the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us. In love, he predestined us. There's the motive. What motivated him to act this way toward us? Love. He loved us. So here you have God acting in a way which is majestic and sovereign. And we got that today in Sunday school about the Lord is a sovereign God. He is a great king who acts according to his will. I was joking with the pastor. He was talking about this Sunday school at another time, and I, I was joking with him that uh, one of the great kings of the ancient Near East uh, had to learn this lesson by uh, feeding on a bale of hay. <laughs> Remember the great king in Daniel? He does what he wishes with the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. Who can hold back his hand and say to him, what have you done? This is, this is what uh, God's sovereignty is like. But there is something that informs God's sovereignty that people think of it as this bare, willing of uh, God uh, passing his hand over, over the creation and doing things which are questionable. Who gave him the right to do these things? Well, he's the creator. Okay. But, it, but people envision his sovereignty in kind of this bare, brute action. It's in love. It's demonstrating kindness. It's showing his openness that people who don't know him come to him. The people who are questioning God are the same ones he appeals to and says, you come and I will share with you an inheritance of eternal life. And then he says, I gave my own dear son for you if you come to him. If you, if you merely trust in him, I will give you the treasures of all creation. This is that same God we're talking about as sovereign. He displays more than brute sovereignty. He displays absolute goodness. And He displays fully free love. God is love, but He didn't have to love His enemies. He did that in freedom. He did that because he is free to, and he chose to. Notice the good pleasure of his will. He chose to do this. He chose love of his enemies. And he chose love for us as people. It was the good pleasure to do this, his good will, 
and the good pleasure of his counsel. This is unambiguous. This, is, this blessing is informed by God's will and pleasure. And brothers and sisters, this is how you know that you, if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is how you know without any doubt whatsoever possible that God will accept you and has accepted you in Christ. It was his counsel to do this. It wasn't a, it's not a passing thing. It was his counsel from all eternity. And if you've trusted in Christ Jesus and professed his name, it's because he has chosen you to that end. He has predestined you to this, even your faith, and granted it to you to believe. Your, your confidence is not in the strength of your faith. It's always too weak. Your confidence is the one you believe in and trust yourself to. You throw yourself on him, and he is faithful. How do you know? It's his counsel. It's his eternal will that you do this. And he is guaranteed that it's sufficient. Why? Because Jesus is sufficient. It's in Christ Jesus who died on your behalf, and he has accepted that sacrifice on your behalf. This is an inheritance of grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace. This is, this is verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Praise of the glory of his grace. This is a royal grant. The Lord has granted you out of his favor. He has invited you into his presence and he has granted you this rich kingdom that he shares out with you. A kingdom of eternal life and a new creation. This is, this is what he has extended to you as a favor to you. And now we talk about how, uh, how this uh, has happened. And it's happened in such a way that it's kind of stunning. It's stunning to us when we start thinking about it, but it's particularly stunning in its original setting. Now let me pause for a moment and, and explain that. If you were to walk around in ancient Ephesus, so Paul is writing to the Ephesians, the city of Ephesus, a city in modern-day Turkey. It's actually inland a little bit, only because the river feeding through there silted up and, you know, created really land. <laughs> so it's now a little bit inland. But in, in Paul's day, it was a harbor city. And it was a very important harbor city. I mean, one of the more important ones in that area, the coast of Turkey, about central in, in the coast. And this city, interestingly, has been excavated for well over 100 years. And we have statues and statue bases and carvings and columns and buildings. They've uncovered lots and lots of stuff, including writings on these buildings carved into the stone. There's, there's 6,000 of them, uh, which you can read. Uh, some of them are translated for you. And in some of these, you get quite interesting things, particularly about adoption. 
Now notice in our translation, it says in verse 5, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul qualifies this, adoption to himself. He's adopted us that he would be the father of us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he says, blessed be the God and Father of, now put your name there. Because that's what that means. Adoption to himself. So that you now have him as your father. You've been adopted by him to himself. But it, then it says, as sons. Now this is where in the modern world, we don't like that. You want to say sons and daughters. I'm going to qualify that in a moment. Because daughters are certainly included. But not in, not in Paul's day. What Paul says is sons, because if you're a son, then you're an heir. That's Galatians 4, verse 4. If you're a son, if you're sons, then you're an heir. You inherit. And in his day, that's the key. In Paul's day, adoption was not for the benefit of the child. It was for the benefit of the father. Because the father didn't have a son to pass on the inheritance. And so he needed a son in order to take over the family. This is, this is a very common institution in Paul's day. If you have a father and a head of a clan, really, uh, a large extended family, he didn't have a son, then he had to adopt. Now, the most famous one in Paul's recent history, not he wasn't alive then, but it was the generation before, was the Emperor Augustus. He was adopted by his great-uncle, Julius Caesar. Uh, he was adopted to be his son. And what that meant was all of Julius Caesar's soldiers became Augustus' soldiers. That's part of what he inherited. He inherited all the soldiers. He also inherited all the towns that were dependent on him. And he became the, the patron of those towns. Uh, so this is, this is a big deal in the ancient world. Let me read you a, one of these carvings on stone. Here's, here's one of them. A, a fellow named Cleonox, not to be confused with Kleenex, okay? This is an ancient Greek name, Cleonox, okay? Let's get that right. He, he takes offense at me. Cleonox, adopted son of Serapion and natural son of Philodemus who holds nobility of birth from both fathers. So, Cleonox was adopted by uh, Serapion, though he was born of Philodemus. Now, what, there's actually, what happens is, Cleonox does not inherit the property of Philodemus. He's no longer, he, he's actually alienated from his inheritance, from his natural father. He doesn't inherit both. He only inherits the, the property of Serapion because it means this, this big deal. Now this is, this is what has happened. This is what God has done for us. In the case of believers, God has taken the most distant foreigners 
to be his kin for inheritance of his whole estate. Not those who are good or deserving. I'll direct your attention to Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, this can also be translated helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What did we offer to God when he redeemed us? Helpless, ungodly, wicked, sinners, enemies. It is his enemies that he has reconciled with his son. And he didn't just reconcile us to be part of the servants' quarters off in some outbuilding. He has brought us in as sons and daughters, as heirs. Because that's what Paul gets at elsewhere. We are all sons. There's no distinction anymore. That's the end of Galatians 3 leading into Galatians 4. You are now sons, whether you are Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, adult or child. It makes no difference where you've come from. It makes no difference who you are. If you are a human being created in the image of God, you qualify for this inheritance that he has he has planned from all eternity to bring you into this inheritance and be adopted as sons. And as if you're a son, you're an heir. It doesn't make any difference if you're a daughter. You're still an heir. Because by nature, there is only one son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the natural son of God. And he died that he would share out his inheritance with us, his adopted children. We were sons of disobedience, by nature children of wrath. Not many of us were well-born. We were not these nobility like Cleonox. Not many of us are well-born, well-spoken, well-educated. It makes no difference to God. Those things are external to him, and he really doesn't care about those things. Those things did not lead him to put his love and grace upon us. Indeed, we were under the orders of the prince of darkness. You just keep reading in Ephesians chapter 2. We were by nature children of wrath, and, and we were following the prince of the power of the air. That's what we offered to God. It's not that he looked down through time and said, oh, these people are going to turn out pretty well. I don't know about you, but I'm still working on turning out halfway decent. And who knows? Brothers and sisters, he set his love on us. I'm going to try to be more than halfway decent. Well, I'm at least halfway, quarterway, whatever. I'm going to do my best because I'm now... I'm sitting 
at the Lord's table as an heir, and I better clean up my act <laughs> because of the family I'm not a part of. Just, just to please Him, my Heavenly Father. Just out of gratitude. Just out of love. Because those who've been forgiven much, love much. If you know how much you've been forgiven, your love should swell to where you want to please your Father. This is what God has done. He's brought you into His family. And then He's transferred you, He's transferred to you legally by His grace, predestined you to be an heir of life eternal in a new creation. Let me read to you what God has done for us. We'll end with this. This is from Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered? No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. How can we, we respond to these great things, O oh Lord, great things that you have done, except to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the high heavenlies in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace upon grace, kindness beyond all measure, O Lord. We praise your name. We pray, O Lord, that you will help us to live up to our calling to be sons and daughters of the living God, included into your family, alongside Jesus our elder brother, who's worthy of all our love and praise. It's in his name we thank you and we bless you. Amen.